Welcome to Advocation Change It Up, a new podcast series hosted by Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the USF College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab. Hello, everyone. I'm Karen Liller, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to the USF College of Public Health Advocation podcast series. I'm here today with my student co-host, Andrew Lim, a member of the Activist Lab Student Advisory Board. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Dr. Lillard. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Good. I'm excited to be here. Great. <laughs> All right. But before we begin, I want to give you some background, everyone, on the Activist Lab. The Activist Lab prepares students to be exemplary advocates and leaders in public health. And if you just Google the USF Activist Lab, you'll see everything we do, from educational programs to boot camps to seminars. We conduct research. And really what we're trying to do is prepare not only the university community, but the community in general to be great advocates locally and at the state and national levels. Our podcast advocation is going to tackle really relevant and important public health topics. And we're going to engage public health leaders and advocates whose work has led to great improvements in our communities. Each podcast, we'll be talking with a public health expert on an issue. And we're going to end each podcast by asking the person, how can we as a community advocate for this issue to improve the public's health? And I have to add, before we begin, the views expressed reflect those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the University of South Florida. So without further ado, let's talk with our advocation guest, Ms. Norma Henning. Ms. Henning is an immigration and civil rights attorney with CARES Florida, or the Council on American-Islamic Relations. She also was a recent speaker at one of our Activist Lab seminars, and she did a fabulous job. And you're able to find that whole seminar on our website. Ms. Henning has a very extensive background in immigration law, and today we're going to be talking with her about a variety of things, like what's true and not true about immigration, what role businesses and other entities have with immigration, and how we can advocate for change. So hi, Norma. Hello. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for being with us today. So you ready to talk about immigration? I could do that all day long. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, let me just say again, I found your talk at the seminar to just be so good. And I was especially intrigued with words that we don't use properly, but people say all the time, right? Like illegal alien. So apparently that's not right, as well as other things we say. So could you expand on that a little bit? Well, yes. Thank you very much for having me uh, sure. on this podcast. It's our pleasure. <laughs> um, the, the, you know, word, the, the presentation was entitled, What Part of Illegal Don't You Understand? And the reason I put it together was that the more research I did into, into the words that we use or that the, you know, are being used in public discourse to describe undocumented immigrants, um, the more I became aware that it seemed there seems to be an, a, a targeted campaign to paint immigrants, particularly undocumented immigrants, in a very unfavorable light, like a threat to our safety, right. um, by by using words like illegal, and then of course you step right from illegal into criminal, and then you get the rapists and murderers uh, verbiage that's being peddled um, pretty much nationwide to make you know people look 
look like they're a threat to us. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the illegal alien, of course, is is is, is one of those favorite words. And, um, and what I had dug up, um, you know, and presented at this presentation was that, you know, it is not a crime to be undocumented in the United States. Which is and, what people don't know, right? People think if you're undocumented, right, that is mm-hmm. a crime and you can be arrested. Right. And, and the, uh, the, the criminalization of being an immigrant, an undocumented immigrant, has been a campaign that's been going on, you know, and I, I believe it had something to do with right after 9-11, uh, the the sure. individual states passed laws to make um, um, the uh, actually it was the uh, the, um, the federal law that was passed, uh, the Real ID Act that mm-hmm. would then trickle down to the individual states and make it impossible for people without documentation to get driver's licenses. And then all of a sudden you had them commit a crime when they were driving without a license. Mm, and so I believe, that's how it got to be. So all of a sudden a crime. we have all these criminals that are basically. You know, um, you know, in the system, but not actually for being violent criminals or a threat to safety. See, and that's so important because we hear so much now. We hear the different words and the terms. We pretty much when we hear illegal alien, everybody mm-hmm. thinks that's that's right. You that's know, you're right. illegal. Yeah. You're in this country illegally. You can go to jail, or you can be deported, or whatever. Right, and most right. people, mo- yes, well, most yeah. people don't understand that, you know, the word illegal, uh, you know, yes, you know, of course, being unlawfully present is is unlawful, but it's not illegal in terms of a criminal. In terms of a criminal, right. a criminal charge. Right. right. Okay. So that's, that's, um, that's really interesting. And you also talked about businesses and prisons, which I did not realize the extent of their involvement when it comes to immigrant labor. So can you talk more about that with us? And I know Andrew has some questions yes. about that too. Well, I mean, immigrant labor is, I believe, just the replacement population or an additional population for profit of the uh, private prison industry. This is not an immigrant issue only. This is an issue of marginalized communities and most, mostly the African-American community has been the, uh, taken the brunt of this, uh, basically. And, and I had even in my... Um, presentation, a quote from a gentleman from the Nixon administration Mm -hmm. that basically said, well, this whole war on drugs was basically a way to bust up the civil rights movement and and the uh, and the anti-war movement and they they don't even make any qualms about it so we now have uh, the highest prison population of any nation that i'm aware of and the statistics are available for anyone who has the time to actually go and and research this so we have the highest prison population and we're looking at you know and i always you know i grew up in germany and i'm thinking Americans really are they that bad? I mean, I mean why? why? But you know, and it's scary. But it is it is the criminalization of of conduct again. You know, after after you know the abolition of slavery, we had the Jim Crow laws that basically then you know criminalized loitering. I don't think we had a loitering crime before, but it's basically if you're standing around talking, guess what? You're loitering, and therefore you know you could now be you know, put in, in jail and in prison and then worked on the same plantations that your, you know, predecessors or ancestors worked on before for no, oh. you know, fee. And and now basically the, you know, the, the way the the prison labor is used is is very similar to that. And and um, people are becoming aware of it. And there's more of a movement now to say, wait a minute, this is wrong. There's movement for criminal justice reform. So I believe that the private prison industry is looking at the immigrant population as the replacement for 
um, for the population they might lose, or maybe even just an expansion because you know their investment. Uh, if you if you look at uh, what what they say in their annual reports, um, the Geo Group, for example, mm -hmm. here, right here in Florida, well, our profits depend on the appetite of the population for the use of private prison industry in in um, in detention. And I'm going, you know, what are we talking about here? And then I found out that we had actually minimums of numbers of immigrants that have to be in detention at any time. So it's a quota system, essentially. It's a quota system. And this was actually put in place in um, 2012 or 2013, where the quotas was inc were increased. And the, pr the difference between publicly run prisons and private prisons is that the private prisons are not nearly as transparent in their data. You can't sure. do freedom can't of find it. Can't mm -hmm. find, you know, mm -hmm. certain things. So there are violations. And um, in 2013, the previous administration had basically said, well, we're not going to use fed, um, uh, private prisons anymore for the detention of federal prisoners. And you could see how the the stocks of the private prison companies took a dive and then the private prison companies donated millions into the next election cycle and right after the last election was done where they realized that you know that policy was going to be overturned mm -hmm. they you know the private prison stocks went up again and i believe it's it's an issue of morality of right and wrong this is not partisan this is just wrong and i think if more americans understood how this works and Which I don't think many people do, because when you gave your presentation is when a lot of people said they had no idea. Well, I heard the audience gasp. Yes, exactly. And I thought it was because of my bad pronunciation. No, <laughs> no it was the data you had about yeah. how prisons have a quota, or right, businesses and prisons, I guess, have a quota so that this labor can be done. And can you talk a little bit, and Andrew's going to ask about this too, can you talk a little bit about businesses that win? from this arrangement also. Yes, and I wish I could pull up my presentation. Actually, <laughs> the, the, the federal government markets prison labor as, as good for the bottom line of businesses. And I had a chart, uh, you know, that shows, and it's, I mean, great. it's really, when I said this data is available, it's available, all you have to do is Google you know, co corporations that use private prison or prison labor, mm -hmm. not necessarily mm -hmm. only in the private prisons. Right, any prison labor. Any prison, yeah. and you see pictures, you go, go on images, you see, you know, large production rooms, people sewing things. Uh, it, it, the call centers, often when we, you know, the call centers, you know, they call you up and they have some kind of, a, you know, something to sell some you message. or, or yeah. service uh, companies, and you're talking to prisoners. You don't know this. But you're talking, no you know, you know, not everyone, obviously. But I think this, right. this kind of stuff, it's available. It's available in in the in the public and, domain. And so some of the businesses, excuse me, just a minute. Mm -hmm. Some of the businesses, right, are are popular ones mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. we utilize all sure. the time. Can sure. you give us a, a few? Well, we had what on the list. We had, I mean, Costco. I think Wendy's. Um, Starbucks, you know, Starbucks. Right? I mean, you know, a lot of different, you know, and I don't want to vilify um, training programs in prisons because a lot of people exactly. are in prisons really who, uh, you know, have have no skills. Mm -hmm. And then there are programs that 
that uh, do train prisoners so that when they are released and they become rehabilitated, which is the whole idea right. in my mind behind prisons, not to create repeat customers, right. but to make sure that these people never come back and mm -hmm. never have to come back into the system. Sure. So there are training programs that are obviously mm -hmm. uh, very uh, important mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and are good for public health uh, because yes. then you have you know people that come back and can feed themselves, feed their families. Right. But, um, you know, that's um, which, which then leads me to the next point. Uh, this the private prison industry is now diversifying. Okay, they're diversifying into what they call rehabilitation and and these kinds of programs. And I wonder if you have a business that depends for its profits on the detention of people, and you're also in the business of making sure you don't have repeat customers. Yes, how I, does that I square? Don't, I don't. I don't know how that squares. And I think the people that you know that are making these policy decisions and, and continuing this system really need to look at, are you basically putting a business in charge of making sure it doesn't have business in the future? Right. And that, and, and that would eliminate your business. That would, exactly. that would really curtail your profits. So is that really in their interest to do a good job at that? And I think, you know, we really need to look at yes. um, what, whom we hire uh, to make sure that uh, prisoners have a chance at never coming back to prison. Thank you so much. It's it that seminar was just so eye-opening. Again, I have to ask folks if you really want to see the whole seminar, all of Norma's slides, as I said, they're on the Activist Lab website at USF. If you just go to educational events, you'll find her under our Find Your Voice seminars. So now I'm going to turn this over to my co-host, Andrew, yes. <laughs> and I know who has some questions for Norma. Yeah, so I want to move a little into the advocacy side of things. So what can we do about all these horrible things that you were talking about now in, in your presentation? So what can folks do, especially young people like myself, do to really disrupt this relationship between big businesses and immigrant labor? Because, for example, when I was at the University of Florida in undergrad, there were a lot of student groups who collaborated with farm workers, rights groups like the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, to lead boycotts against corporations like Wendy's, and they had a Boot the Braids campaign. But from your presentation, I know it's a cute name. <laughs> in your Boot the Braids, I'm yes. gonna remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in your presentation, it seemed like a very widespread issue. So do we boycott all of these corporations? Is that possible? What should we be doing in addition to that? Well, I mean, there was one gentleman that after the presentation, um, ask the question is that is is it even possible to do anything about any of this until right. we get money out of politics and i mean that's of course that's the the big issue is you know if if these corporations the, like the geo group for example uh or or alec which is a lobbying organization that basically systematically it means first of all supports politicians directly, then creates networking opportunities so that they meet more donors. And, and they don't only promote the prison industry, they also promote, um, you know, other industries that are also, you know, basically working, you know, not, not to help poverty in this country mm -hmm. change. Um, if unless we get some basic system change. I don't know that not buying your coffee at a Starbucks on your way Will to really work make a difference. is really going to make right. that much. I mean, boycotts work, but they have to be large-scale boycotts. And I think 
you know, we have Thanksgiving coming up, you know, or yeah, I don't know when this exactly. podcast is going to be aired. It's coming. A um, few talk, days. Talk to your re relatives. Talk to people. I mean, I this presentation <laughs> I'm, that Great I Thanksgiving over Thanksgiving yeah. dinner, you know, by the way. But, you know, <laughs> it I is mean, good, though, to get the word out to family and friends and all of that, because, because I agree with you. most people don't know. Most people don't most know. Most people don't know. And I think, you know, there are so many families in this country that are touched by the prison system that have a relative, a loved one that, True. you know, maybe deservedly or not in, in the system. And they know that if you just want to talk to that person on the phone, it is very expensive. expensive. If you send them money into their commissary account, you know, the, the money you have to pay for that is, it's unbelievable what, what, you know, what, what these companies that are offering all these ancillary services uh, charge uh, the, mm -hmm. the families of prisoners. And of course, you want to talk to your loved one. Of course, you want to make sure that maybe dad speaks to the kids every once in a while while he's gone for a couple of years so that the relationships aren't lost. All of this trick, I mean, there's there's little crumbs being cut off the pie there and, and it's very profitable. These crumbs are extremely profitable for this whole complex of private prison um, industry members. It's not just the prisons mm -hmm. themselves. It's the t telephone companies and there are banking companies and they're all intended to profit from, from this, this grand scale misery that we've created with the war on drugs. Yeah. And can I ask you, are the businesses, and this might be naive, but are the businesses aware? I mean, because they get their profits from so many sources. I mean, are they aware of their involvement that much with the prison industry? I mean, obviously somebody's aware, but is that general knowledge among their workers or their, well, even their executives? I, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I was shocked. I was shocked yeah, by it. Because I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not in that industry, but right. I would think that the decision makers at these industries are aware. I mean, a lot of publicly traded companies, they have mm -hmm. annual reports. Right. I, you know, but um, I would think that it probably is... It is part of their profits, but it let's make it a very unattractive part of their profits. Yes, by speaking out, by you know the pro, the presentation that I had initially intended to to go to civic groups, Rotary clubs, you know, because I believe in their hearts, um, the, the exactly citizens of the United States of America want fairness, they want dignity, they want all of this, and, and I think you know. In a, maybe I sound like a recently woke person, but, but you know, we have, um, you know, the, the world has changed. Absolutely. The perceptions have changed. Mm -hmm. We have now body cam video. We have videos of, of things that we're now seeing, um, you know, that are happening to people out there that somebody like me would have not believed. Exactly. You know, if, unless, unless I'm seeing this right there on, you know, so, so I think there is time now for, for this information to be, come to get out and to be put into the public realm and also into the families because these people people that then call their congressmen and go wait a minute is this true is this what's right. happening is here? this absolutely true what, what and, i'm hearing you know and i would think you know are politicians aware of it maybe 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 not mm -hmm. but if their constituents are aware of it that's right i think they the might just care about it a little more than mm -hmm. uh, you know and so when the check from from geo comes in or the the alec you know uh, campaign maybe that's not going to be as attractive anymore i mean student movements change things so young people change things Absolutely. i have a lot of a lot of faith in in this country and in in the decency of the of the american citizen that uh, looks at this and goes this is wrong this right. is not 
Democrat or Republican. This is right or wrong. And in this case, it's We've wrong. seen students really uh, lead to so many changes, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen the student groups like March for Our Lives, for example, with the gun violence issue. Um, and now, of course, this. You know, you say University of Florida had this, but I think that's one of the reasons the Activist Lab really exists, to really give the information to the students, but not just stop it there, but have them work with their legislators and that. And not to be out on the streets with a megaphone or whatever, but to to actually work through the system mm -hmm. and make things effectively change. And I believe the only way you really can do that is with policy. You have to change policy. You have to change. You have to go in that direction. So, um, so yeah, that's great. So, Andrew, you had a few more questions, a yeah. little bit more personal, <laughs> I think, about immigration, right? Yeah. yeah. So one of my favorite parts about your talk was how you talk about the racialization about immigration and immigration history in the United States. So for a lot of people in the U.S., immigration is heavily related to Latino, Latinx communities. And mm -hmm. some of my extended family members are undocumented, but from the Philippines. So a lot of people don't think of that kind of person as an undocumented person or a person from non-Central uh, South American countries. So how do we challenge this racialized image of immigration in the U.S.? Because it's perpetuated by media, elected officials, mm -hmm. people on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> how do we change that? Yes. Well, I mean, this is nothing new. You mm -hmm. know, and again, when I talked about the history, I mean, right. I looked, talked about the, the Chinese Exclusion Act that mm -hmm. was uh, you in, did. in the 1800 and mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, I don't have, I couldn't open That's my okay. notes here. No but, um, you know, where basically we, uh, there's an image from a, a publication called The Wasp, you know, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, which is, you know, yes. the, the leading culture in this country. The leading culture. Um, and how and many years ago was that? Oh, this ago? was in 1800. That must have been back in the 1800s, it, right? Because that was yeah. the... That was the epitome to be a wasp, right? right? right yes, right. white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Right, and they were in the, in the, the, at that point they didn't realize they shouldn't talk about that. Right. <laughs> so no, it's, it's proudly proudly mentioned, and there is a, an image of a of a Chinese man, you know, and it's called the Yellow Terror in all its splendor, and he's standing oh on the body of a white woman that he probably just you know violated and killed <laughs> with a you know a sword and a, a torch and. And, uh, you know, in, in, in basically rapists and murderers, the same mm -hmm. rhetoric. That's how they were epitomized yeah. and looked and, at. And yeah. then we passed the Chinese Exclusion Act that wanted, uh, was supposed to make sure that no Chinese people or not, not any more Chinese people come into the country. And then I had, um, you know, the same, the same imagery is used against uh, African-Americans. Yes. The Birth of a Nation, the first silent movie shown mm -hmm. in the White House, uh, was basically the story of, of a white woman being violated by a black man. And then, you know, we have all the laws that follow from that right. uh, against the black community. And and now we have rapists and murderers against the Latino yeah. community. Mm -hmm. History mm -hmm. repeats itself. It, it, That's it, so true, right? Over and over and, and over. Yeah, and, but I want to, I want us to learn this right. time. Right, we should learn. And, and I think people haven't, you know, connecting those dots mm -hmm. and then seeing how the rhetoric that is used, it profits someone. I also had yes. in the same publication uh, the specter of the immigrant being shown to the American worker as, oh, look who's taking your jobs away. Now, statistically, this is completely untrue. The, the, the jobs are being eliminated by automation. I mean, and I have in my presentation, mm -hmm. I had um, 
uh, statements from the Cato industry, the uh, Cato Institute, sorry, Institute. <laughs> um, that basically said that this current administration is Mr. Stephen Miller, who's making all, you know, who's basically right. recently been exposed as a white supremacist, has... Um, basically has no idea about mm -hmm. the economics of immigration. The, there's a, a Bush uh, Family Institute that basically talks about the economic impact of immigrants on the on the uh, country and how many jobs are being created. So this whole specter of the of the um, um, you know immigrant taking away your job that was also used uh, for example when they closed the slaughterhouses in Chicago way back when when they said well geez you know now we have to pay um, you know uh, the African American workers in the cities we have to pay them pre you know prevailing right. wage mm -hmm. um, well what are we going to do oh Mexicans are still working for Mexican wages so they basically moved the slaughterhouses into the country hired the Mexicans and then told the workers in the city they stole your they, jobs they stole mm -hmm. your jobs so this My is goodness. just I mean, it's statistically completely um, untrue, but it's fabricated. But that's what we hear. But that's what we hear. Right. But we hear that for the motivation of. Uh, and one point I want to make is that the migration patterns that came, mm -hmm. you know, people from Mexico and people from Latin America, they were traditional. Mm -hmm. And basically, what we did is we closed the border on those people created laws that make it impossible for them to ever adjust status because they had illegal entry in order, for example, if you want to, um, if you are married to, a, as an undocumented immigrant, if you're married to a U.S. citizen, right. normally you can adjust status, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. means, the, and you have U.S. citizen children, you're here, you know, you haven't committed any crimes. The exception to that is if you had an illegal entry. So if you came, let's say you came from Germany five years ago as a student, you graduated, you decided to stay. Right. You know, right. You know a lot of our undocumented population is not people from Latin America. The They're from other countries, mm -hmm. actually. The Europeans, people who right? came yeah. or overstayed. Mm -hmm. like, I or think overstayed, overstayed their visa. Yeah. Boston yeah. is full of Irish, you know, yeah. um, uh, undocumented immigrants. But uh, so if let's say an Irishman that uh, did this and then meets an American girl and gets married and, you know, mm -hmm. he can adjust status. Right. The people who came unlawfully across the border cannot ever adjust that. I mean, there are waivers that can be applied right. for. But it's not, uh, you know, it's not feasible to really think that these waivers would be granted, um, you know, at, at this point, at least. Um, and so basically they're, they're stuck in the United States. If they then leave, they cannot return for That's it. They um, can't come back. They can't. Right? Well, if, I mean, they if, you're, years. Yeah. if you're undocumented in the United States right. uh, for um, half a year mm -hmm. uh, and, and you leave, you cannot come back for three years. Three years. If you're okay. undocumented for a whole year, you cannot come back for 10 years. So it, imagine you've been here maybe five or six years, you married, have children, and you have to take that chance to, I mean, people miss their, you know, they can't go back for their parents' funerals. I mean, this is really, really tragic. It's terrible. You know, but... Um, if you leave, you can't come back for 10 years. So you can't leave. And, but you still have to work. So we have this wonderful workforce that basically has no rights, cannot organize, cannot speak up. And I think that is really a travesty that mm -hmm. we've been trying, you know, it, there have been some bipartisan efforts at immigration reform. We need right. comprehensive immigration reform. I agree. And the gentleman who's in the White House right now making immigration policy, his big claim to fame was that when he was the aide to uh, Senator Sessions, mm -hmm. uh, defeated 
bipartisan immigration reform in 2013. Mm -hmm. And he, he understands the system very well. He knows what to pick, what to tweak, and and you know, and these detention policies for, oh, that that's are so so whole nother issue, that's right? A whole about the issue, but detaining it's a, people. Yeah, but it's part so, of the profiteering and this this whole rhetoric that people, you know, do immigration listening tours and they're driving around the country mm -hmm. talking about the rapists Quite and recently. the murderers. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand it's been canceled now, but I, I'm going ah. to have to look into that. Okay. Um, you know, using the same words that the El Paso shooter used when he opened fire in a Walmart and targeted uh, Americans because they looked, you know, they didn't look right. like he did. So right. obviously they must be, you know, evil immigrants. Um, and you know, really at the... At the uh, um, source of this is you know the, the the money in politics and also in my view um the, um, the fear of of um of the majority white population that they're not no longer going to be in the majority right because if you look at statistics well that's happening anyway that's though. happening that's, anyway I mean, and you can't fight demographics right, right. and there i mean but if you look so you know what are we looking at you know mm -hmm. jailing yeah depriving people of voting rights, gerrymandering, all these kinds of policies. They're all, you know, we're looking at the ALEC universe um, mm -hmm. and, and those industries that profit from this are, you know, basically um, putting their money into politics. And until that changes. Right. So that's campaign know, that's, reform. But, that's but it won't change until it comes from it, until we demand that it changes. Correct. So let's, you know, and that's why I'm looking at you students. <laughs> to, <laughs> Andrew has to fix the to immigration problem. <laughs> and go home at, at, you know, talk to Uncle Bob at the dinner table because Uncle Bob is probably, you know, a, a decent human being who goes, whoa, I had no idea. People have no idea. No. And that's why I love these podcasts because whatever side of the issue you're on, you at least get the information, right? Mm -hmm. People have absolutely no idea yeah. of, of the situation going on. Um, we can start the dialogue. You got to start the yeah. dialogue. Right. And I love having, as I said, the student advisory board because they are young mm -hmm. and they're ready to, mm -hmm. to take on these issues. And yeah. like we've seen with some student groups, they're not quiet anymore. And they shouldn't be. The university right. is where yeah. the change is at. And now one thing that I really want you all to pay attention to, and this is a totally, you know, d geeky, dorky thing that we do, <laughs> you know, is read the We're all geeks. Don't worry about it. <laughs> read the, and it, uh, it's patriotic. Okay, That's dissent right. is patriotic. Reading the fine print of proposed laws is patriotic. Read what what they're trying to do because um, I, there was last year um, this this buzz about um, well we're not going to let Florida universities turn into Berkeley, and a basically God a, forbid. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I said God forbid. <laughs> God forbid. Why would we not want to so, be Berkeley? Because you know liberals. You oh, know, oh, we don't okay. want to be no liberals. Get rid of all the And liberals. there is now a push basically to say oh conservative students are being discriminated against. Oh, I see. In Florida universities for voicing their opinions and they're getting bad grades from their professors. So somebody suggested, oh, let's let's do a political litmus test of the professors in the universities. Now, sure, sure, you know, why not? Why not? You know, why not? Let's let's see and and let's scare all the professors. You know, and and I don't know how you know, tenured versus non-tenured mm -hmm. works. I know teachers are you know worried about their jobs. Of course. So. Um, you know, let's be vigilant about this because this is unacceptable in a free society. That's right. Either side. Either side has the right to express their views. Right. And I think one of the best things we can do with so many, even, you know, we talk about the immigration issue, we talk about gun violence. You know, we've said it before is that 
you know, I, I work in the area of injury prevention and gun violence prevention. Mm-hmm. And basically, we have all these ideas about people who are saying, you know, oh, you know, you want to take our guns or you want to do whatever mm-hmm. from the, the more conservative side. Actually, when you sit down and talk to people, that's often not the case at all. But comments get taken out of mm-hmm. where they should be and get in the media and actually a conversation with people is what is often so helpful. Right. And I think, you know, when you look at values, I yeah. mean, there's a lot of values that we share. Fairness. Of course. You know, and, right. and, and decency, ch- charity to a certain degree, benevolence. People mm-hmm. want people want mm-hmm. their neighbors to do well. We just have to expand who our neighbors are. are. You know, <laughs> and, and have a kind of a, a definition of what does it mean to be an American these days? And I have a conversation about that. And... Um, yeah, I Thank think you. I it's think so we'd important. be surprised how how many you will people be surprised agree. if we just talk to each other. It sounds cliche, yeah, but but so many folks now are like, oh, I can't talk to that person. I can't talk. They don't believe like I do. Well, that's the whole thing. We're in America, right? Right. You know that that that's the whole purpose to right. talk to one another and come to consensus. I agree, and and you know, and if, and that's kind of why, um, as an immigrant myself. I mean, people look at me. No one's ever told me to go back to my country, mm-hmm. or you know, or be quiet with your opinions. Right. You know, or, it, yeah. and, and I, but uh, I Andrew was born was here, and ask, I've been told <laughs> right. to go back to my country. Andrew yeah. has been told right to go back <laughs> yeah. to his country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure maybe now people who are listening to this podcast are going to call me up and tell me to go back to my country. But no, you know, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> maybe shut down the activist. No, no, oh, I'm just no, kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> no. So, well, Andrew, do you have any other? Um, Questions for Norma or hmm. comments? So I wanted to ask about DACA because yes. that's in we were, front. That's we were a so Supreme happy Court. you were on. You were the mm-hmm. podcast guest because I said, please ask something about DACA because that's on people's minds. You know, right and there's a lot of misinformation out there about what DACA is, who can be in it. You know, the president tweeted earlier this month that people in DACA are not angels. They're hardened criminals. So... Is that true? Well, I the president's tweets, um, <laughs> you know, don't 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 score high on my on my veracity mm-hmm. scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, DACA stands for Deferred Action on Childhood Arrivals, right? And it's basically children who were brought by their parents, uh, you know, it, it, during a certain time uh, from uh, you know unlawfully across the border. And um, by the way. Crossing the border and asking for asylum is not unlawful. Not That's unlawful. correct. Sure. That is not unlawful. That is not unlawful. Uh, but so they have, they've immigrated, uh, you know, into the into the United States. And a lot of my, you know, high school graduates mm-hmm. are in college now mm-hmm. and so on. And they always were living under threat of deportation. So deferring the action, this is what the Obama um, uh, administration did, doesn't give them legal status, but it gives them um, a deferment from from being living under the threat of deportation and and that so they were able to get work authorization and not have to live under this threat anymore mm-hmm. so of course this was a, an executive action that the Obama administration did because Congress can't get their act together on bi- bipartisan immigration reform, which is sorely needed. Um, so now they're looking at well, if if you know the Obama administration gave it. The other administrations can take it away. So I don't know exactly what the Supreme Court is going to do with that. Um, there are, are arguments on on both sides, right. and you can be really highly technical, and you can be correct legally and wrong morally. 
mm-hmm. and wrong. Yes. You know, it also you've now created you, all these young people have now come forward. They've become teachers. And of course, if they have a criminal background, a serious criminal background, they are not eligible for DACA. So right when you in say, the first place. Right. So now you have the immigration service issuing these. Oh, you know, look at all these people on DACA. They're all they have all gotten in touch with the law. Well, yeah, maybe they drove without a license or, may, you know, and there were in some states uh, in this past in Arizona and some other states, Florida, thank goodness, didn't go there when it when this was a hot topic, um, criminalized being an mm-hmm. immigrant, mm-hmm. criminalized working without authorization, which is not a crime again. Right. And, and it was also uh, under um, the, uh, this, uh, the Supreme Court held these laws, these individual state laws, unconstitutional. Correct. Mm-hmm. However, you know, so yes, you have had these people get in touch with the law or maybe be picked up for loitering or something like mm-hmm. that, but that doesn't make them, you know, serious criminals. So if you have committed a serious crime, you're not eligible for DACA. So all the people that are benefiting from DACA, by definition, can't be criminals right in you know the way so, that an american views a threat to the country a gang member or anything yeah. like that yes so no again so, we have rhetoric and, and this is also very different from what um he was treated or said before the election when there were promises made that oh we've got to bring these people got into to bring the, fold, the people into and now they're the not angels yeah well you mm-hmm. know the three-year-old asylum applicants were also called not angels right or something like that yeah it's it's just it's just wrong Yes, I like what you said about legality and morality are mm-hmm. not the same. Not a the lot same of thing. Horrible things have been done right. in this country under legally. legal premises, and and in many other countries. I mean, I come from a country where mm-hmm. yes, things were, you know, we have a history, we had a, a very very painful history mm-hmm. where things were legal and were completely immoral, and it took it took the destruction of the country to come to terms with it and. And that's why I'm really, really very sensitive to the language that is used to to vilify and dehumanize yes. human beings in this country. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of why I do what I do. That's why I joined uh, the Council on American-Islamic Relations right after the elections, because there are things that are just wrong. Right. And I think as a society, we need to come to terms with the things that we will tolerate so you're absolutely right, and what a great advocate you are, and we glad, we're so glad that you're doing what you do. Um, I want to thank you so much for being with us today because it really expanded what we learned on the seminar and just gave us so much more information to think about. So I think my takeaway is basically we have to advocate for change, right? And we can do this. There's elections coming up. However you vote, you know, it's not Republican, Democrat, or whatever, but you can still advocate for change especially for immigration. And there's just so much more to learn. Well, on behalf of the USF College of Public Health Activist Lab, my student co-host, Andrew Lim, and our wonderful guest, Norma Henning, I want to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of Advocation. You know, here at USF, we welcome your thoughts on our podcast. So please visit our website. You will see a link that now says podcast. You hit that link and you can send us an email through that system. We want to know how we did. We want to know what you enjoyed about the podcast and what you might recommend for future ones. But also, we really want to know is how you as a citizen are going to take this information and advocate for change. We love getting the listener mail, and I'm going to read some of those comments during our next podcast. And please subscribe to Advocation Change It Up. It's on Spotify and soon we'll be on some different sources because we're going to have new segments coming soon.
So until next time, this is Dr. Karen Liller at the USF College of Public Health Activist Lab. Remember, advocation, it's about finding your voice and helping to change it up for the better. So happy holidays, everyone, and we'll see you in 2020. Thanks.